Here's a message from today's episode's sponsor. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm Ken Perez, OmniCell Vice President of Healthcare Policy and Government Affairs. I'm your host. Join host Ken Perez, OmniCell Vice President of Healthcare Policy, for conversations with industry innovators, healthcare peers, and internal OmniCell experts sharing practical advice, personal experience, and the best practices for technology-driven medication management in the quest for zero errors. Alan was just sharing about the importance of connecting those disparate systems and getting everything to talk and being interoperable in order for us to really achieve the fully autonomous pharmacy. The Future of Pharmacy podcast presented by OmniCell is for health system pharmacists who are tech curious, looking for ways to improve operations, outcomes, and safety, and ultimately gaining a better understanding of the future of pharmacy. Subscribe to the Future of Pharmacy podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at pharmacypodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Hello and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Shane Garrettson. I'm Cal Vandegrift. And I'm Jill Murphy from Pharmacy Times. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. Joining us again today from Pharmacy Focus, the official podcast of Pharmacy Times. We are really excited about this. We had a lot of fun last year when we did this episode, and this time it's going to be a little bit different. So last time we talked about old-timey medical treatments throughout the course of history. Today we're talking about pop culture. We're doing a pop culture potpourri. I can't believe it's been a year, guys. I'm so excited. I've wanted this to happen a little sooner than a year, but Mm -hmm. let's do it. Yeah, it, it's been it's wild. Time has yeah. really really flown. It has flown by. So let's let's jump right in. We've got some cool things on the agenda today. We're looking at some old movies from the '80s and '90s. We're looking at Nightmare on Elm Street Three, <laughs> The Dream Warriors. Obviously, the best movie, <laughs> the best of the series. What are you talking about? Yeah. Not that I would know. I haven't seen the rest. And then we're looking at Flatliners. Another classic 90s movie, the original, not the new one from 2017, because I stumbled across that one, too. I haven't seen it. Have you all seen it? I have not. No, Kevin Bacon definitely is a little bit more attractive to to watch than uh, whoever the new actors are in that. new. Well, they've got um, Elliot Page, Diego Luna's in it from Rogue One. I'd still rather watch Kevin Bacon. 
Me yeah. too. To be honest. Yeah. Kevin Bacon, he's he's pretty cool. And then we're also going to talk about The Witcher, the book games, and we're going to primarily focus on the show. Yeah. The hit Netflix show. Have y'all seen like all of these, experienced them all in, in any capacity? Well, I certainly haven't seen Nightmare on Elm Street and Flatliners since I was a kid, but yeah. I have been watching The Witcher pretty religiously uh, lately. It's so good. Yeah. It's one of my new favorite TV shows, to oh, be yeah. honest it's, with you. It's really good. Actually, doing this show with you guys has made me want to be the Witcher fan, so I'm definitely going to watch right after we're done. But I haven't seen the other two in a really long time, so I'm excited to really dive into them. That is perfect. So I had never seen Flatliners or Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors, so I, I crammed them into this morning. I watched them both back to back this morning, and I took really detailed notes. And I have seen The Witcher. And I've seen I've seen The Witcher both seasons. I, I liked it a lot. The first season was a little bit better, I think. Yeah. Second season was great, but it was like it wasn't as there wasn't as much at stake. When they switched Princess Siri with a different actress. They didn't switch Princess Siri. I'm she telling you, older. Was, I don't believe you. There's it's the no same way. actress. She just got like a few years older. I don't know. That's what time does. Jill, you're going to have to watch this. You're going to have to confirm this for us. Be the third opinion, because I have it looks like a completely different person. I mean, she went from like 12 to 16. Well, now I really need to watch this because I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> it's just the same. It's the same little girl. Um, anyway, so yeah, so uh, my wife also, she played the game and uh, the Witcher, the third one, and then she read the books as well, which she really enjoyed. Well, The Witcher 1 and The Witcher 3 were so many years apart, right? Like it was, right. A, it was a completely different console period at that time. Yeah. So it was a little bit, it's a little bit different. I mean, Witcher 3 was on Xbox 360 and PS3. It was like that era, but I don't remember when the first Witcher came out. It was a long time ago. Yeah, it must have been. I don't recall yeah. either. I forget which console I played it on. One of the old ones. Yeah. Jill, we know that you're not a gamer. We've established this with the lack of Minecraft in your uh, experience. <laughs> Is it that obvious? Wow. I guess I got to get in gaming too after this episode. Just like, you know, Minecraft, the, the basics, the Witcher. <laughs> that is the basic of the basics yeah. is Minecraft. Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> That's a classic. It's, a, it's just nothing. It's not Freddy Krueger. It's a different Freddy, but it's, it's also. <laughs> That's what I figure. <laughs> so what are your experiences with uh, Flatliners? I keep wanting to call it Nightliners. Uh, Flatliners and the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Jill. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm a big horror movie fan, so I've had to watch them either for like a film class or just in general for enjoyment. So I've always okay. I always thought Freddy Krueger was the most terrifying of all of the villains. I just think being haunted in your dreams is like insane. So I was actually excited to talk about this one. Flatliners, I think I saw like bits and pieces of it a long time ago. I just remember a lot of the dream sequences and I just thought it was insane how they could get somebody to basically flatline and then they kept getting brought back to life. I just thought that concept was so interesting. Yeah, it was, it's really, it's a cool concept and it's, it's got like kind of a, it's polarizing for fans. Like some people really are into it and it's got like a cult following. I guess that's what kind of revitalized it in 2017 for the remake. But then other people are like this, you know, it's kind of a dumb, kind of a dumb nineties movie. But so let's, let's jump right in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the premise of, of Flatliners and then we'll, we'll talk about the realism. Flatline. They're getting smaller. He's dying. Brain death. Let me defib him. He's dead. Isn't that enough? Let me try and bring him back. Just watch the door. Excuse me. I don't want to ruin anybody's evening, but are we in the room with the dead man? Oh, my God. One minute to go. 
Sure. So like we said, the iconic Kevin Bacon is in it. Also Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts, a lot of old time actors are in it before they were really big. And basically it's a bunch of medical students and the Sutherland character says like, I want you guys to help me experience the afterlife. I want you to basically end my life, but then bring me back. So they all basically help him flatline and then they bring him back right before he's about to die and he's able to experience all these different memories and things that happened in the past and seeing all these different people that he hasn't even seen before or just people from his past that he hasn't talked to in years and then each character is able to actually experience the same exact thing and it's all a near-death experience for them and they all see the same type of things like memories from their childhood and like old enemies and friends and like the title says it's until they flatline and then they have to be brought back with a defibrillator pad it's crazy i just never heard of a movie like that before yeah it's pretty wild and when i was i was reading about it there were like a couple of um movies around the same time period that kind of dealt with the like the nde the near-death experience thing and then um there's another show on netflix actually called the oa that looks at like near-death experiences and like the kind of like this leads into like this parallel kind of universe which is kind of cool but anyway so that's unrelated but yeah so let's talk a little bit about the the process of the actual flatlining incident since that's the the key thing in the movie they do it five times Four characters do it and then one and then Kiefer he does it twice he does it in the beginning and then again towards the end so the first thing they do is when they're getting like prepared he does nitrous oxide which is laughing gas it's the typical uh, inhaler sedative you use that for going into your wisdom teeth primary surgery general anesthesia it precedes the other agents it's usually the first thing they do then they get 20 cc's of sodium pentothal which do you know what sodium pentothal is it's kind of infamous i don't Oh, Lord. I'm already getting trivia and I don't remember. So it's sometimes to referred me. to as sodium thiopental, but they're the same thing. You have to tell me about okay. it. Okay. Yeah, so, please educate us. Sure. This is, a, this is an old surgical drug. Oh, it's not that old, but it's been mostly replaced by propofol for general anesthesia, but it was very commonly used and still, no, it's not used anymore. I think they replaced it with something else, but it was used up until the past couple of years for lethal injections. Oh, it's that the, makes sense. Yes, the barbiturate yeah, that was okay. used for, for lethal injections. Yeah. And it's still used in Europe for um, euthanasia in, uh, I think, Belgium in the Netherlands, where euthanasia is still legal. So they use a much higher dose for euthanasia and for lethal injection, obviously. But a low dose, like 20 cc's of whatever concentration they're using is, is an effective general sedative so it's kind of like kind of like propofol which is much more commonly used today it's got a really quick onset works in about 30 seconds and it only lasts for a couple of minutes so unconscious pretty much immediately and then you wake up in about about 10 minutes i think sodium pentothal has sort of an unpredictable half-life so it could make you feel groggy longer and i mm -hmm. think that the reason that's the reason why they've largely switched to propofol nowadays one of the other things he mentions is that he has chilled d5w on standby which is i should have googled this to fact check that's dextrose five percent in water right yes okay so that's like a fluid resuscitation thing i think they're just like throwing medical terms around because there's no reason why they would need that unless he's going to be like losing blood but that's not part of the plot at all he's just got it there just in case they also mention that during the whole procedure, they actually, this is a, a key part of the procedure is lowering the body temperature to 86 degrees 
Celsius and then bringing them back before they get resuscitated. I'd hope it wouldn't be 86 degrees Celsius. That Did I say it's Fahrenheit? It's like Fahrenheit. It's like boiling Sorry, water almost. super hot. 86 Celsius. <laughs> I was like, is, wait a second. It's very we, hot. Where are we going with this? Right 86 Fahrenheit. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. Um, what's the, how's the poem? I, we've said this on the podcast before. Uh, zero is ice. 10 is cold. 20 is... No, wait a minute. <laughs> well, 100 okay, is starts boiling. with 40. 40 is, is 40 is hot. 30 is nice. 20 is cold. No, it's 30. 30 is hot. <laughs> 20 is nice. 10 is cold. Zero is ice. That's, I mean, that sounds right. I don't know, man. For Celsius. I wish I could confirm if this is right or wrong. But I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, it's one of those <coughs> things they don't teach you in pharmacy school because it's not right. Anyway, so <laughs> there's actually, I'm not going to talk about this in detail, but there is actually evidence to support, I mean, kind of controversial evidence to support that lowering the body temperature during a, a period of time during the resuscitation process, that it does actually have neuroprotective benefits. Mm -hmm. Because if you're reducing the metabolism and the oxygen consumption of the brain, you're reducing the buildup of waste byproducts and the length of time in which the cells of the brain are experiencing a metabolistic deficit. So they're not going to be requiring the same nutritional input. Yeah, there's oh, there's been several cases throughout history where if, if something happens, like you get trapped in an avalanche or mm -hmm. you get um, drowned in under in like near freezing water or something to where your body temperature drops because of the external environment, they are able to bring patients back with less loss of brain function mm -hmm. after longer periods of time. I think there was something, um, I don't know, I looked at a study that came out in the 90s about a case report of a girl who had that exact happen. She um, she was skiing, she broke her legs and she fell into like a near freezing body of water and she was underwater. She lost consciousness. You know, she she drowned and she was dead for like 36 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And they brought her back and there was very limited brain function loss. So I think I, I we might have mentioned that case I in the previous did. episode. I think I've read about that too. But yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there is some validity to this and they do actually mention it very specifically. They, I mean, it's clear that they did a lot of research into this and that's one of the things that the director was very proud of. He was like, yeah, the, the author, I think his name was like Findlay or something. I looked it up. Finaldi, maybe. Starts with an F. Might start with an R. Could be totally wrong. But anyway, he did like a lot of research into the script, into the like medical jargon. And a lot of the actors were like, yeah, it was pretty accurate. And they're not they're not wrong. There is a lot of validity to some of this. It's clear that they did some research, but then they took some creative liberties. And that we will get into in a moment. Can I they, just say yeah. something really quick? I am so amazed by all the different medications that it takes and everything they did to like even bring them to that state. And I just want to say that's a lot of different things just to feel that feeling. Like I, like the one scene where Kiefer Sutherland is like falling and like just keeps falling. I hate that feeling. And I've had that in my dreams. And then you like wake up and I feel like wanting to feel that is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I won't even like jump off of, you know, how some people drop, drop off of like rocks that are like 10 or 15 feet, you know, off the water and whatnot. And then the crazy people jump like hundreds of feet off into a body of water. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just going to stay on the ground. I'll let everyone yeah. else do that. You can have your fun. I'll watch you die. <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will not participate in that activity. I'm just going to sit here and enjoy my life. Yeah. <laughs> jump off that cliff. Yeah, that scene was kind of trippy, though, like Kiefer Sutherland, like flying through the trees like that was mm -hmm. the oh, yeah. first like 
that was the first moment in the movie where I was like, okay, this movie's going to get weird, like yeah. really quick. And it did. It got super weird. It's kind of weird. It started with Kiefer Sutherland flying through the trees, screaming, which is like, ah, for like a really long time. And then they did that like super 90s thing where they let the scream like echo out into the next right. scene. And so it fades. 90s. It's super 90s. It had like the ultimate 90s vibe. He's like walking around the city in a trench coat. He like gazes stoically out at the bay and he's like, Today's like a good day to die. That was like the first thing he said in the movie. <laughs> Today's a good day to die. And he had like his sunglasses on. So classic. And the Miami Vice just comes in. <laughs> the intro to Miami Vice just starts playing in the yeah. background. Anyway, so and then the next. So the at once they they dose him up with with sodium pentothal. They then shock him to stop his heart. This doesn't actually do anything. Well, we'll get to that. So <clears throat> then they, you know, he goes through the, the NDE experience. He's, he's out cold for however period of time. He's in asystole, no heart rhythm, no um, breathing, no, no heartbeat, nothing. Just the brain is slowly losing oxygen. And then once they determine their time is up, then they give him one cc of adrenaline, which is epinephrine, same thing. And then they defib him again. They give him another shock. So a shock to stop the heart and then a shock to start the heart again. That's not how defibrillation works. Defibrillation, it's in the name, it stops fibrillation. It takes a defunct, a dis dysfunctional rhythm of the heart, and it can fix that rhythm by forcing the cells to kind of restart because it causes a contraction of all of the muscle cells in the heart to contract all at once. So if they're beating out of rhythm, then it gets them to restart. It's not going to start or stop a rhythm. So if the heart is in asystole, which is, it means there's no rhythm, there's no electrical activity. It's very, extremely unlikely to actually introduce rhythm back into the heart. What does start the heart's rhythm back up again is kind of, I don't know really how to say this, unclear, at least to me in my extensive reading. So we know that adrenaline plays a role, epinephrine, that is uh, dosed for any instance where there's a heart attack of any kind, when there's a V-fib, which is a, a wacky heart rhythm, or VTAC, another kind of heart rhythm, you dose with epinephrine. You give one milligram every three to five minutes, and then that's in between uh, bouts of, of CPR. And occasionally shock, which I was actually kind of impressed that they got, when they shocked him, they said 200 joules. I mean, that is technically right. Right. Not to stop the heart, obviously, but to maybe restart it so long that it was a biphasic dose. To, it's not going to restart. It's not going to start a, well, you know a heart I mean. in asystole. Yeah. I oh, not, not, not asystole. asystole. Yeah. yeah. So it would, it would defib. Yeah. Yeah, it would defib. So At least they got the dose right. Of, they got the, the dose shock. right. Uh, they got the joules, the voltage right. So they did get that correct. Then they didn't get anything else correct, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, so, wait, where was I? Oh, yeah. So epinephrine. This is where things get really weird because I, up until I was reading about it today, I thought like epinephrine, that's what starts the heart, right? In theory. Wrong. Not really. Epinephrine is a huge, it's a key component of the restarting the heart process, but it's not really directly restarting the heart. If you Google like epinephrine start the heart, you're going to find like all bunch of articles titled like epinephrine restarts the heart, but it's, it's really indirect. The thing that epinephrine does, and that's why you can switch it out with other agents, is it causes vasoconstriction and increases what's called systemic vascular resistance. So the overall pressure of the arteries and veins, it causes them 
small to constrict. And this constriction, particularly of the aorta, which is the vein uh, directly above the heart that supplies basically the entire rest of the body, it causes that to constrict a little bit, which then pushes blood, it shunts blood into the coronary arteries. So the heart, as we know, is a pump. And it's full of blood, or at least it should be full of blood at all times. But the heart doesn't actually use that blood that's inside of it because that's it's the purpose of that blood is to be pumped to the rest of the body. The heart has its own vasculature around it, the coronary arteries. It's got two. They branch off of the base of the aorta, the left and right coronary arteries, and then they descend down and around, and they kind of like a web around the heart. And that's what supplies the heart with the blood and the oxygen that it needs to function. So if there's blockage there or if there's a deficit there, then you have a heart attack. Then you have a, a myocardial infarction if there's a blockage. Epinephrine has the ability to increase blood flow to the area surrounding the heart, which can cause ROSC, which is the return of spontaneous circulation. So it's just sort of this spontaneous return of heart function. It's not epinephrine having a physiological effect that's triggering the channels or the electrical signal to activate. Yes, epinephrine can increase heart rate, but it's not because it's affecting the electrical conduction of the heart itself directly. It's through all of its other mechanisms that it has. Which is why CPR always comes first in these mm -hmm. situations. It's always yeah. the priority. That and shocking. Epinephrine, of course, will help, but that's not yeah. the primary source of, of treatment. And that was what I was actually emailing one of our professors about because I was curious, like, why does this play such a huge role in CPR? Because maybe I'm missing something because there is another agent, which we'll talk about. I guess I can talk about it now. Atropine does have some effect on the calcium channels that are actually responsible for sending the signals back and forth. So I would, I'm surprised that that doesn't have a more profound role in CPR. Obviously, uh, if it did, it would be a part of CPR because there's people much smarter than me that, that, you know, do these things and set them up. But atropine is a part of the bradycardia, which is like a too slow heart rate. I communicated with one of our clinical professors here at High Point University, Dr. Alex Ebed, and he pointed out that atropine could theoretically have a role in restarting cardiac function, especially when considering some of its activity, and was at one point a part of the asystole algorithm, but over time wasn't able to prove a consistent benefit, so was removed from the guidelines in 2015. Thanks, Dr. Ebed. There's also the issue of actually stopping the heart. So we know that defibrillating isn't going to cause the heart to stop. It's just going to hurt. If you have a normal heart rhythm and you get defibbed, it's not going to stop the heart. It might cause an interruption, but the heart's going to be able to resume activity pretty normally. I mean, if you shock it multiple times, maybe you'll get the heart to stop, but it's not going to be like a guaranteed on and off switch. And that's how they were treating it in the movie. So that was kind of annoying. There are ways to stop the heart though. And we've talked about it once before in our Fear Street episode, we mentioned that a propafenone overdose, which is an antiarrhythmic, that could potentially stop the heart. However, that's going to be really slow. It's going to be really painful. You're going to have a lot of arrhythmias on the way there. There are other agents that are used, however, for things like open heart surgery, wherein they need to actually stop the heart and take all the blood out and get it run through a um, heart lung machine, you've got to stop the heart somehow there. Typically, they'll use potassium ions, which just stop the heart's electrical activity from functioning. And then in that case, then they can take all the blood out, get it through an oxygenated machine, and then the way the heart is, is still so they can do whatever surgery they need to perform, whether it's a bypass or, or whatever, like a what valve replacement. Yeah. They're looking at 
interestingly, like ways just to immobilize certain parts of the heart, which I don't know how that would work, but that sounds kind of cool. But so that's that's one thing that they can do. The other option that they have is using adenosine and lidocaine, which they're looking at more now since that's got um, that's a little bit safer than potassium ions since potassium can cause a lot of damage to the heart, whereas adenosine stops the firing of the sinus node. So the heart has two uh, electrical conductors. There's one in the top, the sinus node, and then there's the next one. That's called the sinoatrial node, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Same and then there's the sinoatrial node, I think. I think that's the name of those. I didn't write these down in my notes, so apologies for that. And then they conduct uh, electrical signals down through the center of the heart, and then they sort of branch out to the outside, and then that's what causes the contractions. Adenosine stops the firing of the first node in that cascade, and then so that stops impulse conduction throughout the entire heart. And then lidocaine increases the threshold potential, making your heart's electrical impulses less likely to trigger. So combined, they can shut the whole thing down. They can stop the heart. And then these are the options that they're looking at now, a little bit safer, a little bit more reversible for things like um, coronary bypass and open heart surgeries and stuff like that. With all of this, amazing information you just told us. The moral of the story that I'm getting is if you're a med student or pharmacy student or any type of student, don't try this. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> do not try this. Like, Definitely do not try like this. It's so easy to just do this. It's not. No, no. Yeah, it was it was super, super unrealistic. Um, they do throw around words like lidocaine and atropine, but it's just like when they're freaking out and they're like, let's try lidocaine. And then someone's like, no. Sodium bicarbonate. There's one point where um, Kiefer Sutherland suggest, suggests Bertillium, Bertillium. I'd never heard of it before, so I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. And then Kevin Bacon says dramatically, this is when Julia Roberts is out. Kevin Bacon says, no, it'll fry her. So I was like, okay, that's that's made up. Yeah. They totally made up that drug, but they didn't. It's a real drug, Bertillium. It's, a, it's an antiarrhythmic agent, and it's not on the market right now, although there are pushes for it to be back on the market. But it's sort of phased out in the early 2000s because it had a really high risk of hypotension. So they could use it sometimes for arrhythmias, for V-fib. It could treat V-fib, which is a type of shockable rhythm, but it's got some like serious side effects, so they don't really use it. It's not going to fry. I don't know like what Kevin Bacon thinks that means, but I mean, it would just cause like severe hypotension, like really, really, really low blood pressure. I mean, I guess in the event of a shortage where you have nothing, you don't have amiodarone, you don't have lidocaine, you don't have any antiarrhythmics, I guess it could be used, but it's probably way more expensive too than those. Amio's cheap as dirt, lidocaine's cheap as dirt. Yeah. I don't, I can't imagine that's on too many formularies around the country. Yeah. You know, I tried to find some articles like talking about why they want it back on the market, but they were all like the paid articles. And I was like, I already paid $3.99 to watch this movie. I'm not going to pay $49.99 <laughs> to read an article about this like offhanded drug that no one Kiefer uses. Sutherland talks about. <laughs> That Kiefer Sutherland and Kevin Bacon argue about. I have to say, though, Shane, great acting with right there with that line. All these lines are giving us. So oh, thanks. Really uh, look into that for career. They should have called me for the remake. They should have. Yeah, I don't know why they did. When they do Flatliners three. Flatliners then, yeah. three. Great delivery. I think you should Appreciate be in Flatliners three. If we should, it should be like a pharmacy students though, and we'll get it right. Yeah. See, there you go. Okay, flatliners in the pharmacy. No, it'll fry her. We have to deliver just yeah. like the 90s, though. Well, it'll be medically accurate, though. So it'll be like, no, she'll enter a state of hypotension. 
That's yeah. less dramatic, but yeah. more accurate. I don't think that makes as good of a movie. Yeah, no, we'll see. So, yeah, ultimately, this movie had some things right about it, some things wrong about it. Yeah, I think that the reason that they included the whole like shocking thing was for drama during I forget who it was that went out. I think it might have been Julia Roberts, but the power goes out when they're when Julia Roberts is is under and they're like they can't figure out how to bring her back. So that's when they're talking about the Bertillium, which still I mean, I guess the big summary here is they, every single time they went, you know, went down, they were in a systole. You right. Don't, you don't shock. A you don't shock a systole. You don't do that because there's no point. Oh, so there is one thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. So you don't shock a systole. However, in some cases where when they do like when they take all the blood out and they stop the heart for a cord or an open heart surgery, they will sometimes very rarely have to shock the heart to restart it. But that's that's rare. Most of the time, once they flush the potassium out and they put the blood back in, the heart just starts on its own, which is like nuts to me but the heart is the heart the heart can do that the heart can like do its own rhythm like you can start a stopped heart that's what we did with the dead frogs in in biology lab Mm -hmm. we they'd been dead for like hours um like severed the spinal cord and we restarted their hearts with atropine that's so cool yeah it's pretty cool it's not like the static electricity thing that you do with frog legs no that's that's cause that see that causes the uh, the contraction we dropped a so we opened them up dropped directly onto their exposed heart and then we actually um massaged it if it didn't work right away and then the heart would like slowly start to beat again wow that's crazy it's it's pretty wild that's wild yeah so that's what you need start that heart up i mean i've heard in like rare cases like in an open chest surgery where you have access to the heart you can do that yes yeah that was what i was getting to and i got i got sidetracked so yes they will sometimes do that however so if you need 200 joules on on the defib like the clear thing like the if you need 200 joules for that how many joules do you think they need if they're just applying it directly to the heart way more oh i was more <laughs> no way less i'm gonna say a tenth of gonna rotisserie that heart if they fry yeah. it with more than that you want some fried frog heart i don't know probably a tenth of that i'd say five frog heart about five, five joules also that's fried like, frog. oh okay wow yep. That's like 40 times less. Yeah, and this crazy. is why I'm not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's five jewels. You wouldn't need more because you don't you're not you don't have to get through the rib cage. You don't have to get through the the breastplate. It's just directly like they put the little it looks like long grill tongs, but like flat. Oh, like wow. a big spatula, basically. They just like touch that to the heart and then they give it five jewels and then it'll start back up. And that's if it doesn't return spontaneously, then they can shock it. But that's rare. Make sure that I'm not a part of Flatliners 3 for that type of advice I just gave. So How many how many jewels do we need? Double it. <laughs> no, it'll fry everything we got. <laughs> that's incredible. Incredible acting right there. You know, you know what I've always wanted to see? Like when people do get defibbed, like we've watched a lot of videos in class recently because we just kind of covered this. They're always like they always like jump in their, you know, when they're off the gurney. I want to see if that's actually like real because that seems to be a trend. Yeah. I guess it would be because you're con- you're contracting all the muscles all at once. It's going to elevate, but it's not going to yeah. like, make them exorcist off of the bed or nothing. I, I feel like it might because they they... If you contract like all of these muscles regionally all at once, I feel like you're going to get some airtime. You remember right? that? Maybe. You remember that part yeah. in, was it, what's the movie from the 80s with, uh, 
the thing. Are you yeah, talking the thing. about the yeah, thing yeah, where oh, it goes yeah. through his chest? Yeah, yep. gross. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Oh I don't God. know why. Just because it's CPR. Just because we yeah. should do that movie. Shock him. Great movie. I love that movie. I haven't seen it. I haven't oh, seen it's the so thing. Good. Yeah, I, 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 I want to see it. How have you not seen it? But you knew what movie I was talking about. <laughs> You'll have you not noticed that that's like a thing? Yeah. With me, like yeah. if you can oh, mention you know, it's something. The movie with, no, I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, I, I know of movies. <laughs> Extremely detailed. But like, I've oh, seen never saw so them. few, but I know that scene. I mean, it's famous. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so movie gets like an overall, like a C plus. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, C+. Plus. So before we move on to the next one, here were some of the lingering questions that I had. Uh, they're, they're rhetorical, so there's no, question, there's no answers to these questions um, in here or in the world beyond. But number one, why are they performing autopsies in a partially renovated, dimly lit Gothic cathedral? Yes, that I would like to know that answer. It's question. the same thing from Grey's Anatomy when they're doing, you know, an open chest surgery, like in a constructed, um, like an in-construction hospital. Like, who's doing that? Well, that was, I think there was actual answers for that question. This was, there was no answer for this. Like, I don't know why they're here. Next question. Why did Kevin Bacon rappel out of his window in broad daylight when he got, like, in trouble at medical school? Like, Kiefer Sutherland walks up to his window and he's like, yo, Kevin Bacon. And Kevin just starts, like, rappelling out of his window <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> We should start doing that when we get in trouble in pharmacy school. Just jump out the window and start repelling. I, I thought they would like, okay, maybe this skill will come back later. We know he's like a talented repel artist. No, didn't come back. Nothing else mentioned it. Like no history of climbing was mentioned at maybe, all. Maybe in, on the set, Kevin Bacon just so happened to see some repelling gear. He was like, that. That's going in the movie. I'm doing it. Genius. I mean, they kind of just like let him do whatever he wants after Tremors. <laughs> Oh, another thing I noticed um, when they were at the diner, this is my last unanswered question. When they were at this diner talking, there was this massive chandelier that was hanging in the middle of the diner, really, really awkwardly low. And Julia Roberts stands up and she has to duck to walk underneath it, like just to walk out of the room. I don't think Julia Roberts is seven feet tall. I don't so. get like the set design for this movie, like at all. Yeah. What was the aesthetic they were trying to go for? I, I don't, don't know. Just haphazard. Like now we're in this cathedral. Now we're in this this diner that has is an OSHA violation waiting to happen. Like three employees have gotten concussions this week. If anyone has the answers to this, let us know. Yeah, please let us know. The Joel Shoemaker. Oh, he's he passed away. Rest in peace. He passed away. Right, twenty twenty. All right, I got to do my brainwaves thing. Okay, right. Yeah, let's talk. Oh, yeah. Um, so we do have one brief. So one of the things we wanted to talk about was the actual experience of like a near-death experience. I'll let you introduce it if you want. Sure, sure. So this, so Flatliners came out 32 years ago, but there are still things, which is crazy, 32 years. It's all the nuts. So there's every single day we're thinking about, uh, you know, revelations in modern science. And this one kind of flew under the radar. Um, there was a case report that came out recently, just like 45 days ago or something like that. That was absolutely incredible to read. We'll, we'll include the link in the description so you can get your own take from it. But on the topic of near-death experience, there was a recent study that came out about a man, an elderly 87-year-old man in Estonia who recently had a fall. And I'll jump into it a little bit. So like whether or not you have 
a daredevil streak, like the flatliners people that just compulses you to test the limits of life. I mean, or you're just normal like the rest of us. You still may be curious as to what happens in the final moments of your life. And studies trying to find out what happens in these crucial moments are pretty few and far between. It's kind of hard to do that. It requires great cooperation from patients and family members to be able to obtain any sort of data on this overall experience. And most people when they die don't exactly want to have brain leads on their head and they don't want to be in an MRI machine. However, that did happen uh, very recently. It happened a few years ago, but the study was recently published like 45 days ago. It was an Estonian health institution and they were able to get a bittersweet look into what happens in the brain of an 87-year-old man who had a, uh, a fall and uh, was, resulted in a traumatic brain injury. And he was he was brain damaged. But basically what happened was they described the 87-year-old man. He's admitted to the emergency room after the fall, and it caused internal brain hemorrhage, amongst other brain damage. He was seizing. I think he had a total of 12 seizures before he inevitably passed away. But in a rush to diagnose what was going on with him, they rushed him into an MRI, and he actually succumbed to his fall and his, um, his overall condition while he was on the MRI, which may not sound super important to most people. It just so happens to be an awkward place to pass away. But um, it was really interesting as the Estonian hospital team realized that despite him flatlining in the MRI, they were still noticing brain waves and brain patterns. And so they reflected on this and they, they took another look at it and they spent five and a half years studying these brain waves and trying to come with, to a conclusion about what happened. So here's some of the information that they concluded. According to the article, the patient reportedly had observable brain function for approximately 15 seconds after his heart stopped beating. And in these 15 seconds, they realized that the alpha and gamma waves of the brain, were those are located in key anatomical features that are associated with memory recall and enhanced focus. Alpha waves are kind of like the essential brain wave function. Those are things that come from the spinal cord and other vital areas that if you didn't have alpha waves, you wouldn't exist. Gamma waves are much more selective and they're actually sent via the brain to specific areas depending on external stimuli. So things like, you know, if you're trying to recall what two plus two equals, gamma waves are the, are the things that send the brain waves over to the mathematical portion of your brain to actually stimulate the answer to that question. So they noticed both of these things. And all of this is to say that the common expression, your life flashes before your eyes in near-death experiences may also relate to when a person finally passes away. Now, this is all speculation, but people who have had near-death experiences will often recall the major portions of their life replaying in their head, almost in slow motion before they inevitably dissipate by the external force that may have caused them uh, to pass away in the first place, such as an NDE or the cessation of your heartbeat. In addition to providing gamma waves to your brain, the research team also recognized that alpha waves were being rerouted to areas of the brain directly associated with your senses and areas of focus. Meaning that, and again, this is speculation, it could be possible that as a patient is passing away, they will be able to still hear their family members talking to them for those final 15 seconds. Wow. Which is incredible. 
Now, it has to be noted there's a lot of potential issues with this case. Firstly, the patient was a TBI patient, a traumatic brain injury patient. This could have affected the overall brain waves being sent to certain areas. Second, the patient was given sedatives before um, the MRI. Sedation is notorious for affecting brain waves and brain wave patterns. And finally, the patient was hypercapnic or had a high CO2 level which can also cause oddities and brainwaves. And sure, there's a lot of problems with how the information was obtained, but this was an unexpected revelation that was had by the research team and they were not planning to observe these brain functions at the time the patient passed away. Regardless of the confounders present in this case report, I think it's safe to say that brain function may continue even after the heart is beating and the remaining brain waves flood to the most important areas of the brain that will allow for the most peaceful transition into death and whatever may lie after it. And that's just incredible stuff. Yeah. 15 seconds, you get heightened sense of focus, heightened sense of awareness, recall of memories. That's incredible stuff. And that came I, in a TBI patient even. I really hope they continue to do research on that because I'm mesmerized by that right now. Yeah. Like, crazy. When I first read it, I sent it to our pharmacy group chat and I was like, I am blown away by this. And Shane probably remembers when I sent it. I do. Yeah. I was just mesmerized. I was like, this is, this is something that we've never seen before. And we got lucky enough to actually look at some brainwaves as a patient was passing away. It's incredible. But I think it ties well into the flatliners thing. Uh, Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't intentionally (laughs) do that. But um, I brought it up with my mother, who's a DNP. She's a, she's a nurse in the NICU uh, unit. And I brought up to her, I said, you know, I wonder how that works for neonatal babies when they, if they pass away, what are they experiencing, if anything? Hmm. And of course, that's nothing you'll ever be able to study who's hooking up babies to a brain lead as they're passing away. It's just not something you could experience, but maybe they can experience the heightened senses and the heightened, you know, stimuli for the last 15 seconds, anything like that. Remembrance of seeing their mother for maybe the first and only time, something like that. It's just powerful stuff. Yeah. It's it's wild to me that like so many people, when they have near-death experiences, they all sort of describe something similar, mm-hmm. like the tunnel, like that's, that mm-hmm. crosses cultures. It's a cross, it's, it's, it's a really significant thing for like m- multiple countries throughout history, like all across the world, people experience like a light and a tunnel and like the feeling of, of warmth. And another thing that's really wild to me is out-of-body experiences. And they mention it once in the movie, and they don't really talk about it much after that. But I've read, like, out-of-body experiences are, like, really weird. And I'm skeptical if I believe them or not. But there's, like, so many people who say, like, that they've had out-of-body experiences and, like, that they've... Um, been in surgery or been injured or in like a comatose state and they've felt the sensation of hovering above their body and have been able to like provide information that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to know. Like I read this anecdote once about this um, somebody who was comatose and there was a playing card on the top of a bookshelf that was like like a you know seven foot bookshelf. It was out of reach. And in her out of body experience, she saw like the face of the card and when she like woke up she was like there's a a seven of hearts now it sounds like it's a goofy magic trick Mm -hmm. but (laughs) pick a card and when i wake up from this coma it's gonna be (laughs) which it's gonna be up on top of the bookshelf yeah (laughs) that just that just gave me the chill just like picturing out of body experiences like that gives me the chills it's oh my gosh it's crazy it's kind of weird it is it's weird because people describe those two in dream states like out of body experiences which credit to me is a great transition into our next topic. Oh, that was a great dreams. transition. Good yeah. job. <laughs> Let's talk about 
the man that kills you in your dreams. The one and only Freddy. Yeah. So let's talk about um, my favorite series of movies that I've only seen one and a half of. <laughs> That's the end of part one, but don't worry, there's more. Tune in next time to hear the rest of our conversation with Jill Murphy as we talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Warriors, and the hit Netflix series The Witcher. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. Special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making the music in our intro and outro. Additional music from Pixabay and Fesley Ann Studios. <laughs>